Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AG Chase Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that celebrates every single day the great people who are working so hard to make Coastal Mississippi a better place to live, work, and play. Got a little bit of a frog in my throat this morning. I had to give a speech up in Jackson a couple of days ago and uh, started to get a little bit hoarse. Woke up yesterday morning very hoarse. I feel fine. Just got a little laryngitis. But you're not so focused on your voice until you do a radio show. And then you wake up and you think, wow, that's... You know, I never had to think about that before. So I've been lucky over the last couple of years not having to deal with anything like laryngitis. But uh, we're, we're going to push through it, and we're going to have a great day today. Hey, you know, I talk a lot about news and news gathering and the role that news plays in a local community. I do that all the time. And more, more recently, I had a conversation with my friend James O'Byrne who worked with uh, me over at the uh, at, at NOLA Media Group. He was had a long history in news, but was the vice president of, uh, of innovation when I was president of NOLA Media Group. But he moved over t- to the countryside of France, and we check in from time to time. He's a smart guy. He's a smart news guy, Pulitzer Prize-winning writer and editor, just a, just, uh, just a really, really good dude. But we talk a lot about the changing face of the news media and uh, the role that social media is playing in society and politics today and, you know, on and on and on. But I have constantly said that one of the most important things that happens in a local community is what I would refer to as a reliably and accurately informed electorate. You really need to be focused on this. And I was fortunate to have a long career, 27 years at the Sun-Herald. I worked in a, a number of different roles, but uh, in the last seven years of my career at the Sun-Herald, I was the president and publisher of the newspaper and had the opportunity to work with an incredible team, a uh, Pulitzer Prize winning team, I might add, and uh, the work we did after Hurricane Katrina forever restored my confidence and the role that local news can play and should play, not just to inform, but to be a leader in the community. And, uh, and certainly after Katrina, it was a great opportunity to see that. And it changed me. It changed me as a newsman. It changed me as a publisher, as a leader. Um, it's one of the reasons, frankly, that, that, that after retirement, I wanted to come back and do Coast View because I learned a lot about what it takes to make a community tick. I learned a lot about um, about the importance of accurately informing people. And I'm deeply concerned about that on the local level because digital media has changed things. In fact, when the iPhone uh, became sort of part of society in 2007, that's not that long ago. That's after Katrina, I might add. It um, it created for for everyone the opportunity to become reporters. And some people are, are responsible with that capability and some people are not. And the uh, the advanced artificial intelligence used by Facebook and their and their news feeds, um, unfortunately, makes it appear that everyone who is in your newsfeed or most everyone in your newsfeed agrees with you, and that's not always a good thing. We need to have good, sound debates in the community and so on. But I'm deeply, deeply interested in the conversation of um, the local news media, and uh, and I have been looking forward to this next conversation quite significantly. I might add. Let me bring Kate McGandy Holzheiser into the conversation. She's uh, assistant news director at WXXV, someone I worked with at the Sun-Herald for a number of years. And uh, first, I'll just say good morning to you, Kate. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you, Ricky. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's great to see you. Kate and I worked together 
for a long time at the Sun Herald, and she had uh, she had long history there. And we're gonna we'll go back and kind of uh, go through that 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 journey. We'll talk a little bit about Hurricane Katrina. We'll talk about the important role that that news plays in the local community. But Kate, let me just before we get started, um, tell me about what you're doing these days at WXXV. Okay, well, my job here at WXXV is very similar to when I was city editor at the Sun-Herald. I manage a team of reporters. Um, we uh, look for stories. We develop stories and leads. Uh, I help uh, get guests for the show. Um, and I also oversee the reporters and, uh, as a, in a supervisory capacity, the reporters and producers for the news shows. Well, that's interesting. It's the same thing. You know, one one of the things I've always been interested in um, is is there a difference? How, how different is it to to oversee a group of young news reporters compared to over over here may maybe you know newspaper or print journalists? Is there a difference in how you approach the job? It is. It it's probably a little more similar now with the di in the digital age, but um, being a, uh, a television editor, you are uh, always thinking about the visuals and you're thinking about um, uh, how somebody sounds on TV, how somebody looks on TV, um, you know, how their voice is conveying the story. Whereas when I was in print journalism, it was all about how the words were conveying thoughts and feelings and, and actions. So in that respect, it's been, uh, it's been a a little bit of a transition because it's so much more of a visual medium than what I was in for 30 years. But you see, you were in print for for 30 years. I, I, I'll, I'll parallel those observations you just made with what I've experienced here doing Coastview. And and it and it this occurs to me all the time while I'm preparing for the shows, and that is my years of working with news teams my years of leading editorial efforts, my years of reading and writing and splitting words and all the stuff that we did, it really prepared me for this. And um, I mean, the skill sets that I developed, I've, I've taken for granted. But I bet you find yourself in your new world saying constantly, wow. I'm, uh, you know, it, you're just from a, in terms of just being a wordsmith or understanding how to frame a story and all of that goes behind that. I bet it, it just like maximally prepared you for what you're doing today. Oh, definitely. You know, it, there's uh, no doubt that having to, not having to, but being the kind of person that I am and, and you are, you sweat over you know, a turn of phrase or even the right word to put here so that it doesn't convey the wrong um, meaning or the wrong inflection. And it's the very same thing with uh, visual journalists and even more so because people are hearing the words and they're hearing the inflections. So it's it, it really does set a good ground work for what we're doing now. And the other thing is, the other thing is, and as I said to you before we started the show, and I've said on this show many times, is that I had been retired for a while and didn't really plan on doing anything like this, didn't plan on working again. Might, might have done a board or two from time to time along the way. But, but what I had forgotten is how much I had learned about what it takes for a community to tick. 
And what you learned, not just in, okay, for, your role was enough at the Sun Hero. Your evolving roles at the Sun Hero were enough to teach you about that. And we're going to come back to Katrina in the next segment. But but when you add that to Katrina, what you the deep, deep appreciation you have for what it takes to make a community like ours tick, we cannot overstate that, can we? No, you really can't. It's, you know, when people start asking about, you know, what did you do in Katrina or where were you? And you start thinking back to, you know, the day of and the day after and the days after and all of the people that were there to help us and, you know, all of the things that we did without even thinking about it that led to this monumental task that we basically just took a bite out of every day. It, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, let's take a step back for a second. Okay. You you can you come from the McGandy family. Your dad was a CB, and I've had yep. the opportunity through through high school sports and others to sort of intermingle with your family along the way. But it's a tight knit group, isn't it? It is. It's a very tight knit group. Um, somebody was asking me about my husband and and how we met and when we got married, and you know we were talking about I didn't bring. Um, boys or men around when I was first dating them, I had to be sure that I wanted to subject them to that inquisition that is the McGandy family <laughs> before I introduced them because it, it it's a lot. It is a lot. And especially if you're not from a big family, you know, whether it's um, immediate or extended, it can be quite a bit to deal with. <laughs> 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 oh, that's so good. Though. What a, what a great family, though. What a terrific family. It's been. It was always, always. When I hear the uh, you know the name McGandy, I think of all the the tight knit group that you guys are. And I can only imagine what that Inquisition looked like. But your husband fit in per quite well to it, didn't he? He has. He's he's he gives as good as he gets. So he's fine. He grew up with two sisters, so he was fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I got. It. So you went to Ole Miss. When did you discuss, decide, or at least know that journalism was something you would you would focus your life on? Um, believe it or not, I knew as young as eighth grade that I wanted to be a writer. And um, at first, I thought I wanted to be a book writer. Um, Louisa May Alcott was one of my heroes as a young girl, um, but. My dad was very um, big sports athlete. He played fast pitch softball. We spent a lot of time at sports arenas and fields and what have you. And my love for sports grew there. And it turned shortly there after I decided I wanted to be a writer, that I wanted to be a reporter and not just a reporter, but a sports reporter. I started reading a lot about from uh, Frank DeFord, who was a longtime Sports Illustrated writer, and read a lot of his books and said, yeah, this is something that I want to do. I want to not just write about the games, but the people who play the games. And that's where so, my love of it came. So when you came to the Sun-Herald, uh, I mean, had a good long stint in the sports department, but when you became sports editor, I'm curious, and I never, I don't know that I knew the answer to this. Were you the first, I tell you what, let's do this. I'm going to ask you an important question, but I want to okay. wait till we get on the other side because we've got about 30 seconds left in this segment. But this is Kate McGandy Holzhauser. We're going to refer to her as Kate McGandy from now on because I have a hard time saying her last name. But uh, people know her as Kate McGandy, and that's, that is for sure. We'll continue the conversation after this break. 
subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have Kate McGandy with me. She's Assistant News Director of WXXV, an old friend, someone I worked with at the Sun Herald for a number of years. <clears throat> when we went to break, we were talking a little bit about uh, her, her, her stints as sports editor. She was the first sports editor at Ole Miss first sports editor in Natchez and then the first sport, sports editor in uh, Biloxi at Sun Herald who was a woman and uh, there couldn't have been a lot of women involved in sports writing back in those days Kate were, were there? No there weren't as a matter of fact when I wanted to be sports editor at the Daily Mississippian and I had a friend who was a football player at Ole Miss his name was Dwayne Nesmith and um I said to Dwayne, what do you think about me being a sports reporter? Because this was right when women were um, fighting to have the same access as men, even if it meant going into the locker room. And he said that he did not have a problem with me doing my job. And that yeah. meant a lot to me, and it really spurred me on. And I was actually uh, one of the reasons, not the reason, but one of the reasons that the SEC changed their policy about women, uh, about access to the locker room was because I was covering Ole Miss football. And um, they had to either let everybody in or let no one in. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, the SEC kind of had a, if there's a woman in the in the press box, then we'll do it this way. If there are no women in the press box that we have to accommodate, we'll do it this way. And, you know, I, I take great pride in the fact that, you know, I forced them to think about what they were doing. Yeah. You know, I remember as part of my development uh, at the Sun-Herald, I went over with Slim for a Saints game, Slim Smith, who, who uh-huh. we know so well. Um and it was during the debates <clears throat> that were going on about whether women should be in the locker room for, for professional sports. And the way that the Saints accommodated, eventually they, they changed the entire locker room and all of that. But the way it was before was that you know, just envision these lockers and then this large, very large opening that went directly into the shower. So there was really no break breaking point between the lockers and where the showers were. And men would just come in there and take their stuff off. And some would put a towel on somewhat and they would go on into the shower and do their thing. And and it was so interesting because what they did initially is they put these drapes over the over the, the lockers. And so the men could, you know, could, you know, take their uniforms off and then put their towels on. And it was interesting about when they were letting the reporters come in. They let the reporters come in during this process. And some of the players <clears throat> were sort of okay with women and being in the locker room. Some of them were not okay with women and being in the locker room. So some used the drapes and some didn't use the drape. It was really an awkward moment, but I actually got to witness it myself. Um, I, I actually got to witness it myself, Ricky. I was in the Saints locker room because a, a player named James Williams, 
who was from Natchez, and I was in Natchez at the time, got his start, his first start with the Saints as a linebacker, a starting linebacker. And so they sent me down to cover it, and I went into the locker room, and I'm standing there in front of James's closed drape waiting for him to open it because that was the signal that he was available to the media was that the drape was opened. If they didn't want to talk to the media or if they just wanted some privacy while they got dressed, the drape was closed. It It's a very awkward situation to be standing in a locker room full of men, some dressed, some not, and you're just standing there staring at a curtain waiting for the person that you want to talk to. You know, And you didn't dare look around because you didn't want to be accused of ogling yeah. So, yeah. you know, you just kind of stand there awkwardly and wait for your person to be ready. <laughs> yeah, I remember I was uncomfortable. I, I remembered either one or two women. I can't remember exactly. It was, you know, obviously there weren't there weren't many, but it was um, it, the, the players are at different stages of acceptance. Some were really pushing against it. And they weren't saying anything about it. They just they just didn't change their actions from what the way they did it before. And uh, you know, Ricky Williams was still uh, you know linebacker at that time with the Saints, and and there were many others at that time. But it was a it was an awkward time. But you you actually got to witness history, frankly, because th- things changed pretty dramatically. And there wasn't any reason why women shouldn't women reporters sports reporters shouldn't have the same access as men reporters and uh, you know it's a different world today but back in those days it was kind of a, a kind of a sluggish transition wasn't it yeah it was and you know one of those women was probably mary foster who was a longtime writer for the ap and you know that's her job was her job was covering the saints so they had to figure something out quickly I remember Mary well. For a matter of fact, she 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 was uh, just a, a, a great reporter over all, all those years. Mm-hmm. Incredible, incredible. Yep. But along the way, just before we leave sports, real quick, uh, look back on your your time as a sports editor. Is there any one or two things that really stick out to you as you know during that tenure that just or something you're proud of or something that you look you know look back at with a big smile on your face? Um. I have to say, covering two Super Bowls was pretty freaking cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Getting to and getting to see, you know, hometown guy Brett Favre win a Super Bowl in his backyard. That was that was pretty awesome. Um, And I have to say that uh, when I went to my first Super Bowl, you know, we had three passes. So we had um, our Saints beat writer uh, up in the press box uh, was John Glennon. And then Steve Wiseman, and then our um, secondary and columnist Jim Mashick was up in the press box. And as the the third press person, I was put in the auxiliary press box, which was basically they roped off a section of the Superdome and set up tables uh, in the rows of chairs and set up um, uh, TV monitors on poles so that we could see the replays. And that was their auxiliary press box. It was kind of interesting to see that Peter King was in the auxiliary press box with me and not <laughs> up in the main press box. <laughs> wow. That's, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. I had the pl- uh, pleasure of being the president publisher of the Times Speaking at NOLA.com when we hosted, New Orleans hosted the, the, the most recent uh, Super Bowl that New Orleans hosted. And to get a chance to see all of the the hoopla around it and all the the incredible parties and 
the all the festivities related to the Super Bowl. Was, gosh, it was an incredible, incredible thing, man. I, it's a, it's a big deal, and I get I get when they there's so much competition for a Super Bowl because of the economic impact and the people come from all over the world. It, it truly it, it it is it is one. It is one major event, isn't it, Kate? Yeah, it is. It's amazing. It really is. Uh, everything that's going on for that entire week and then to culminate in the game and the and the pregame show and the halftime show and, you know, all of that, it's just amazing. The Brett Starve story. Wow. I mean, what yeah. a what an incredible – I mean, because the Sun-Herald was right there. They followed it every step of the way. Oh, yeah. You know, covering him in high school and then – and then at Southern Miss, and then when he got drafted, and and being there with his family when that happened, and taking some of the iconic photographs that were taken there, what what a what a incredible journey that was for him and for us. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and you know Tim Isbell's got all of those iconic pictures from, you know, from high school on through to his first Super Bowl and and beyond. And I I you know, good for him for you know. Being persistent, and saying we we got to cover this. You know, he was really an advocate for that timeline, and it led us to be able to publish that book after he retired. You know, just chronicling his life. Unbelievable. Actually, I had I mentioned Tim's name the other day when I was talking about some of the amazing photographers that I was able to photojournalist that I was able to work with at the Sun Herald. I had to get him on and talk about some of his books. Man, he is a detail-oriented photographer, isn't he? Yes, he is. And he's so talented, so very talented. I just love his work. I have a couple of his books and, you know, just look forward to what what his eye sees every time he comes up with something. No, no doubt. There's no doubt about that. Okay, so along the way, you sort of made the transition from, so the way that newspapers were set up, you'd have You'd have the sports area, then you'd have features, and then you would have news, you'd have editorial. Some broke it up in different other ways, but mm -hmm. those are sort of the major areas. And uh, Kate Kate worked in the sports arena for a good long time, but then she made a transition over to news. What was your first job when you came over to the news side of the organization? Well, actually, I started news as a copy editor, and then... Um, went back to went to sports and then when i came back to news i was an assistant city editor and oddly enough the the first thing that happened was the I think it was i don't think it was the challenger but but weren't there two explosions two different missions that had explosions yes yeah was it discovery no 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 I, i'm not even gonna try to get yeah. challenger it was wasn't first. it wasn't yeah. the crystal mccall it was the one. second it was the, other it was the yeah. second and yeah. I was on the desk when that happened. Yeah. Uh, I had been assistant city editor for a month and a half, two months when that happened. And uh, we, we did a really good job pulling that together and, and getting some localization on it from Stennis. And um, it really kind of threw me into the fire to see if I could handle that on a news basis. And I think my time in sports and having to deal with short deadlines after games really prepared me for doing that. Yeah, Cal, if you don't mind, grab that the name of that of that shuttle uh, and he'll, he can remind us because I, 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 I kind of want to remember. It's every now and then it doesn't it, it won't come back to me. Anyway, we've got about 20 seconds left in this segment. When we come back on the other side, we'll uh, we'll talk about the Hurricane Katrina experience and how significant that was for the two of us with uh, Kate McGandy. We'll see you after this break.
It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View. We have Kate McGandy, who's Assistant News Director at WXXV TV here in, uh, on, on the Mississippi Coast. And someone I worked with for a long time. Incidentally, Kyle, during the break, told us it was Columbia, the space shuttle Columbia, that, that burned on reentry. And I mentioned to Kate, I remember I was coaching a soccer game and someone whispered in my ear during the game. And I thought, oh, Lord, it's, it's happened again. But there was, you know, Kate, that opportunity you had, as you mentioned, to, to sort of put the, the local the, the local sort of not necessarily spin, but certainly that's what it is on, on that story was a, was sort of a, a, a baptism by fire for you, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Like I said, you know, my my work in sports really helped me with um, getting stuff on deadline. And then, you know, of course, you know, going from that to hurricane coverage and things like that, it really kind of helps you when you're always under pressure for sports to take understand the, you know, translate that to different um, news events that happen you know, in the course of my career at the Sun-Herald. Kate, I've got a picture. I've got a picture, and it's um, it's the newsroom and Stan and me, Stan Tyner at the time, the executive editor of the Sun-Herald. Uh, uh, the day, well, it was I think it was the Friday before Katrina hit on the weekend, and we brought everybody together, and uh, we we talked about if if what happens as is if what is projected to happens happens, it's going to change our lives forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember that meeting? I do. As a matter of fact, I have a copy of it myself. And mm-hmm. um, you know, we were. I was actually in a, uh, a, a walk for the Heart Association or something like that and got a call and said, hey, we're going to have a meeting at two in the afternoon. We need everybody there. Start calling people. And, um, you know, the uh, the outlook was dire at that time. And, you know, of course, it was worse than we thought. Um, but, yeah, I remember that very well. It was uh, it was a tough time. And we all knew that it might be terrible. Could we have ever imagined that it turned out the way it did? Um, it, it was you know, I often referred to literally a life-changing event for me on, on just about every level. You know, because yep. as, as you know, my family and I were nearly washed away by the storm. We couldn't get across the Pops Ferry Bridge the day after. The only communication I had was a satellite phone. But um, where did you ride out the storm, Kate? <laughs> okay, this is going to sound like a joke, but... It was uh, with my insurance agent, three priests, and uh, some of my family at my insurance agent's house because he had a safe room. Yeah. And um, I nearly stayed at my house so that I could get to the Sun-Herald more quickly. And um, my mother begged me to come and be with them. And so I relented and went to Long Beach because she was so upset at the idea that I would be in my house by myself. 
As I mentioned, I had a satellite phone, so I was in touch with Art Brisbane, who at the time was an executive vice president for for uh, Knight Ritter. He was in San Jose, and I could communicate with him, and he could communicate back with the newspaper. And Marlene Clara, who was the operations director at the time, convinced me to let a few employees stay at the newspaper. And as the water continued to rise at my house, and you know the apocalyptic experience that we were all having uh, having happened, uh, I worried there was a period of time, it was a good hour or two where we had no communication at the Sun-Herald at all, and I wor- worried that I had made a terrible decision. And I remember when when Art finally was able to get back to me to say, yes, we've heard from Marlene and the team, they're fine, you know, and here's, the, you know, this is the situation. But, you know, we all sort of reemerged in the aftermath, and it was incredibly inspiring to see the team come together and do what we did after the after the storm. It was really yeah. incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. And you know, when I was in Long Beach, I could uh, reach my. You remember? You might remember her, Myra Humphreys. Yes, um, she, of course. Myra, yes. She was Myra Humphreys Opal at the time. She was living in D.C. and I could reach her on my cell phone, but I couldn't reach anybody at the Sun Herald. She could, oh, and I couldn't reach anybody at Knight Ritter. But she could reach Knight Ritter. So I would call her, tell her what was going on, and then she would relay it to Knight Ritter in D.C. so that they could update our story. And that was really amazing. Our, my cell phone, it was a cellular South little blue Nokia phone. And um, that ended up in museum as part of our Katrina exhibit afterwards because it was one of the few phones that was working. Who knows why that one worked and nobody else's did, but it did. So... I remember, and Haley wrote about this in his book, when I called Haley Barber, uh, I think the Tuesday after the storm, there was only one place out in the parking lot you could stand with the sat phone. And and get a decent service. So I had to go out in the in the, in the parking lot to, to to talk with him about putting together this meeting that on the following Sunday that was the sort of the impetus for for the governor's commission. But you know we didn't have we didn't have a lot of the fancy cellular technology that exists today. In fact, yeah. a lot of the cell, cell towers were seriously challenged. So satellite capabilities was the way we were able to get a lot of stuff out. But it was um, we I mean it was literally a mismatch of technologies and all these different things. And we were able to publish the very next day and the next day. We didn't miss a day of publication, but right. you know, to watch everyone who had so many challenges, some losing family members, so many losing everything, 67 employees at the Sun-Herald lost everything. Yeah. Um, it was uh, it was incredible to see people with, in the midst of so much loss want to still serve the community the way that they did, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And, you know, and, you know, there were several people in the newsroom uh, of that 67 who who lost everything. And, you know, they just said, I, I just want to work. I just want to work. Yeah. You know, and we tell them, take time off if you need it, you know, do what you need to do. And they're like, I will. But right now I want to work. The journalism that that took place after that really literally defines what it means to have a reliably and accurately informed citizenry, didn't it? It did. And I think, you know, that was one of the reasons I think that the the Sun-Herald survived in its former iteration as long as it did was because people were so um, 
appreciative of our efforts after Katrina. And for a long time, that was their only news source because they didn't have electricity and they didn't have cable and they didn't have a lot of things that, you know, would bring them radio or television or internet or anything else. So, you know, we were their only means of finding out what was going on in their backyard. That and talking to neighbors. Right, right. It was uh, it was inspiring. We all left every day with a pile of papers to bring back to our neighborhoods and hand out along the way. And it was a very inspiring time. And it, uh, you know, I think you know what I what I really felt strongly about it. And I know you you did as well. That people had some tough decisions to make about mm -hmm. whether to rebuild, what your insurance situation was going to be, what the new flood maps were going to cause, and blah, blah, blah. Just so many decisions. Our goal was to try to grab all those decisions as they were, uh, the answers, as they were evolving, mm -hmm. and give people the best possible information we could give them so they could make a decision to uh, to to stay and to yeah. be, still be part of our community. And the other thing, Kate, is hope. We needed to get people, you know, Stan and I talked about that all the time, that we needed people to know we will get through this. But hope was yep. so important, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. And, you know, it was I think it was very important to us in the newsroom um, and to the newspaper as a whole that we find the stories that made people feel good so that they could see that, yes, you know, this happened, but we're able to do this and we're able to do this and people are doing this so that they had that hope on a regular basis. We wanted to make sure that we could lift their spirits in some way and not just with the comics page, but with stories about their neighbors. And I think that made a big difference. When we uh, when we were awarded the gold medal for public service Pulitzer, Stan said that the medal you know, sort of dedicates it to the people of South Mississippi. Um, it was kind of a pinnacle moment of recognition that all of our hard work had paid off. Mm -hmm. It really was. And, you know, I remember we were all gathered around, we we're watching my screen and we saw our name and, you know, it was just, it was just one of the most seminal moments of my life and in my career. I mean, it really was. And I am still so profoundly proud of the work that we did. You know, I would still be profoundly proud of the work that we did, but having it recognized within the journalism community really kind of cemented the fact that we were doing it right. Our friend Tony Biffle uh, died uh, in the last couple of years. And Tony, for you, for those who don't know Tony, he was an editorial writer for the Sun-Herald. And his editorials in the wake of Hurricane Katrina were some of the most unbelievably important editorials ever written probably in the history of the coast of Mississippi. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one day I'm going to do a story just focused on Tony and some of his words because what he wrote and what he what he wrote to reflect so in some cases the anger a lot of cases the hope a lot of cases the confusion a lot of cases screaming to the powers that be and jackson and washington that we need attention on certain things just an amazing time for the sun herald and it was an absolute pleasure and i was honored to have the opportunity to work shoulder to shoulder with uk during that process but hey when we come back on the other side i want to talk a little bit about kate and xxv and the fact that we have two tv station news operations today you can also listen live to super talk we'll mississippi gulf coast 103.1 on your amazon alexa devices once you've enabled the skill just say alexa open super talk mississippi gulf coast talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live 
This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have Kate McGandy. She's an assistant news director at WXXV. And, you know, one day we probably ought to come back together again, Kate, and just talk about the digital revolution and how it changed everything. It literally changed everything. And we knew it was going to change everything, but never in our wildest imagination did we ever know that it would end up where it is today. And yeah. we'll, we'll do that. Any closing thoughts about hurricanes or hurricane season before we switch over to XXV? Yeah, I think that the the overriding thing that I think about is that we're not finished. We're still, we're still re- rebuilding back in, in some respects, but, um, as I was telling you earlier, I got an email this morning that said 100 days to hurricane season. And that always makes me think, what do I have to do to prepare? Um, you know, we just bought a new house, so I have we have to make sure that we are ready for a storm in that respect. And in my new job as assistant news director, I'm back in the newsroom for storms. And what do I have to do to make sure that we are ready to cover it and to make sure that our team is safe in doing that coverage? You know, at the Sun-Herald, we were across the street from WLOX, so we had this kind of ongoing love-hate relationship. You know, we would be partners, and then we wouldn't be partners, and we'd be partners. And But when the going got tough, we always worked together. That That is definitely for sure. So it was, a, you say, friendly competition, but it was, a, it was a pretty serious competition. But we stayed very much in touch with one another. Certainly after Katrina, we did everything we could to help each other. But um, after all those years of knowing all those people over there and having that great relationship, is it odd now to be at WXXV? When you you can look back into the inside that organization, see people at WLOX, uh, what's the nature of the competitive situation? Well, I think just like when I was at the Sun Herald, um, we are competitors. When at the end of the day, and you know we are always going to compete to get um, stories. We're always going to compete to get the the stories first, but accurately. Um, and so, you know, I I still have friends that work at WLOX, uh, and you know, I, I'm sure you're aware. You know, Don Moore is now our general manager. He was a longtime WLOX employee. Megan Gray, who was a longtime morning anchor, is now with us on the morning shows. So, you know, it's it's the nature of the business, especially if you want to stay on the coast, that people are going to change jobs and intersect from time to time. But um, I, I respect the, the people that are at WLOX, and I hope that they respect us. But at the end of the day, we're competitors. Well, the Megan Gray piece was interesting, and um, um, it, it kind of transpired pretty quickly. But it, you know, it's a, a, a good catch for WXXV under the circumstances for her to now be in your morning show. I've worked with Don Moore in the community for, boy, so many years. I mean, we... We worked uh, in Goodwill Industries of South Mississippi together, United Way. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, he's a smart guy who really knows the industry really well, and uh, and he'll he, he's very competitive and very focused. And so, to be interesting to see well, under his leadership what happens next with uh, with with WXXV. But I think it's good. I we you know what the reality is, you can never have too much reporting in a community. It right. comes back to what I said at the beginning: reliably and accurately informed electorate. I mean, you can't, no one has a lock on news. There's so much, there's more news out there than we have news reporters to go get. So the, exactly. the more the merrier, the way I look at it. 
I agree. I couldn't agree more. You know, we are, there are going to be stories that we are both going to go after. There are stories that we do that they don't. There are stories that they do that we don't. Um, and it just means that the, um, the public has more to choose from and a, a wider range of things to help keep them informed. Right. No one's locked into just one source. People want multiple sources. And then when you add to that sort of the digital extension of whatever the news source is, whether it be XXV, the Sun-Herald, uh, WLX, or even Coast View, for that matter, the opportunity to have uh, to have to interact and engage with with readers and viewers on social media, through the Internet, through, you know, whatever the whatever, podcast, whatever it might be. Um, it's again the more the merrier, and and really people want to consume news in different ways. There's still people who are reading the printed newspaper, uh, you know. And we'll talk at some point even more about you know people say, "Oh, poor Sun Herald, I wish they would get it right," or, or "I wish that the." It's not the Sun Herald's fault. I mean, the, it's it it's called the digital tsunami, and the entire business model that supported the old Sun Herald doesn't exist anymore. It's just a new model today. And it's just a, you know, it's a new model for everybody. I mean, even, even for television, uh, the model has changed and the relationship yeah. with networks has changed and how they, how, you know, how the money comes in has changed. Everything is different, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's very much changed. And, you know, I still have some very good friends that work at the Sun Herald. Justin Mitchell, who I helped bring into the Sun Herald is now there. um, I can't, I think it's an audience and growth editor, but he's in effect the city editor for them now. And he does a great job, you know, it's, but it's different. It's, it's vastly different from when I started in journalism and certainly vastly different from when I left the Sun-Herald. Yeah. When I left the Sun-Herald in 2009, there were over 50 people in the newsroom. How many people are in the newsroom today, Kate? I think five or six. So there you go. It just explains to you. How, how difficult it is to cover a market this large with that few that that few number of people. Yeah. But it's just the reality of the digital situation. Kate, we're out of time, but I'll have you back. I, I, we, you know, people might be here, would like to hear a little bit more about the digital evolution and what it meant. And maybe you and I could talk about that and have okay. any really cool stories that you guys are on that there's something you want to talk more about. Just let me know and we'll, we'll have a show around it. But it's been a pleasure to catch up with you, my friend. Thank you, you too, Ricky. Have a great day. This has been Kate McGandy Holzhauser, and she's the assistant news editor at WXXV. It's been a pleasure. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.